I can't believe that bass drop got me again. It spooks me a little bit every week, I think. I'm, I know what's coming. Uh, how you doing, Warden? Good morning. I'm so glad you're in church this morning. I hope you feel that way as well. Amen? Amen. It's so good to be here. So good to be able to look in God's word with you and just continue worshiping God with how we receive the word. Amen? I hope you see it that way. I, uh, I don't ever like to think that, you know, when we're done singing the songs that we're done our worship, that we're still, man, we're still mid-worship. Our whole lives are worship, and we come to church, you know, to let our lives of devotion to God just spill over and give him praise. Amen? This is where we let our cup overflow a little bit. Amen? And so we do that also with how we give with our worship, as part of our worship, and we do it with how we receive the word of God and how we apply it to our life and how we leave this building and we, and we live it out before the world and, and for our God as worship. Amen? Amen. Better hope. Oh, my goodness. This is such a big topic. And uh, I wanted to just kind of narrow it down a little bit for you this morning. But uh, I've been excited. Hopefully you're enjoying this series. Hopefully you've been enjoying this journey through Hebrews with me. Uh, it's such an immense, I mentioned before, I could probably preach 20 or 30 sermons from this, from this uh, epistle pretty easily. And so I'm just narrowing it down and tackling some of the bigger things. But today we're talking about hope. Amen? Amen. Hebrews chapter 10, beginning of verse 19 to 22. And my text this morning is going to be Hebrews 10, 19 to 25. We're going to be spending most of our time there, but I'm just going to read the first uh, three or four verses, three verses here this morning to get us started. It says, Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way open for us through the curtain, that is, his body. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us draw near to God with sincere heart and with full assurance. Why do we have this full assurance? Why do we have this full assurance? Because Jesus is better in every way. Jesus is a better leader, better priest. He's a better mediator, and he's provided a better covenant. And we have full assurance because we have faith in one who is better. Father, I thank you, Lord Jesus, for this truth. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that we have the confidence of serving you. Confidence of faith, the assurance of hope. Father, I thank you, Lord, for that today. I pray, oh God, that as I present your word, that you would give me clarity of thought and speech, that you would help me to function within the anointing you place on my life to do this, Lord Jesus. Father, we love you. We love your word. Open it to our heart today. In Jesus' name, amen. Didn't Joel and Bryson do an amazing job? Man, it's so good. I'm so thankful for the talent we have in this church and, and so blessed uh, to be able to, yeah, just to sit and just the quietness of the band today, like the, the subduedness of the band allowed you to hear those words real clear. Amen. Talking about our Savior, there's a lot of theology we sang this morning. I'm just so thankful for that. So but let's just continue again to worship God with the word this morning. Let's talk about faith for a minute. Um, I think we do a disservice when we jump to hope and we don't talk about faith. And I think the Hebrew, uh, the author of Hebrews talks about faith quite a bit. But one thing I want you to understand about faith is faith is not a guess. Sometimes we treat faith as if, as if we're guessing, as if we're taking a chance. When we say we have faith in Jesus, we are not saying that we are taking a chance on him. Hebrews 1, uh, chapter 11, verses 1. Says this, it says, now faith is the confidence of what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. That's a bold statement. And I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time uh, talking about faith too much this morning. Uh, Pastor Connie preached an amazing sermon on faith some weeks back, and I want to invite you to go find that sermon and listen to it. 
And uh, yeah, it'll supplement what I'm about to say here this morning, but make sure you do that. Uh, but it says, in, again, Hebrews 11.1, 1, Now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. Faith is being sure. It is not taking a chance. It's not like looking at a sketchy bridge and wondering whether or not you should trust it. Have you, I don't know if you've ever seen, uh, any, I'm a, kind of an Indiana Jones fan, and Indiana Jones in the Last Crusade, he's in the these catacombs or whatever you want to call them. And he comes up to this big chasm and it just looks like emptiness and about 50 feet of just dark abyss. And there's a door on the other side, but he knows because of the riddles and stuff that the clues that he's had, that there's that he needs to take a step of faith. And he literally, I mean, I don't know why, but he sticks, you know, in the movie, he sticks his foot out and he closes his eyes and he just lets himself fall. And they had created this bridge that reflected the other side of the wall. So clearly you couldn't see it. And when he stepped on it, he was just like, that's not what you're doing as a believer. God is not telling you to take a step into a big, empty, dark, black space. He's telling you that you have reason to be confident in him. You have an assurance. You have a reason to be confident. There's nothing guaranteed about a sketchy bridge. And we've, again, you know, we get this rope bridge in our mind where someone's going through. I don't know why they go out on those things. I've never seen a rope bridge in a movie that led to good things. There's always somebody on the other side. The thing always breaks. They always go crashing into the side of the cliff. And they're, I'm not ever going on a rope bridge like that. Maybe if it's cabled and, and they have like, I don't know. I just, just don't go on the bridge. Faith is not like a sketchy rope bridge. There's nothing guaranteed about any of that. We have faith confidence because of what we know about Jesus. The first nine chapters of this series uh, and of Hebrews discuss many reasons that for us to have faith. And Hebrews 11 lists many more. Uh, it lists great people and situations where God displayed his power. We have often heard about and read through what we call the Hall of Faith in Hebrews 11, and we often focus on the list of patriarchs and their accomplishments through faith. But listen how the chapter ends. Whoa. There, I'm just checking to see if you're awake. There you go. Goodness. Here we go. Whew. Okay. Scared me a little. <laughs> like I said, we've often heard and read through the Hall of Faith in chapters 11, but let's just go to the end of the chapter. Hebrews chapter 11, verses 32 to 40 say this. And what more shall we say? I do not have time to tell you about Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, about David and Samuel and the prophets who through faith conquered kingdoms administered justice and gained what was promised, who shut the mouths of lions. They didn't even mention Daniel. Quenched the fury, the, uh, the fury of flames. Didn't mention Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They, are, they belong here too. And escaped the edge of the sword, whose weakness was turned to strength and who became powerful in battle and routed foreign armies. Women received back their dead, raised to life again. Praise God. What a list of miracles. But faith is also involved in verses, uh, the second half of verse 35 down through. It's not necessarily talking about that type of miracle. Those are glorious miracles. We like to see, to see movies made about miracles like that and, and to celebrate those things. But listen to the second half of this. It says, there were others who were tortured, refused to be released, but faith still remained. They refused to be released so that they might gain an even better resurrection. Hallelujah. Some faced jeers and flogging. Flogging was a, a wooden rod that they just beat people tenderized with. And even chains and imprisonment. They were put to death by stoning. The idea of stoning is they would take them inside the city, kick them off, you know, usually an eight, seven or eight foot embankment, and they would throw rocks at them, aiming at their head and their chest, the size of your fist. It wasn't a fun way to die. <laughs> they were sodden too, 
what? <laughs> we see these illusion shows on TV, you know, where they seem to chop somebody in half. We know it's an illusion and stuff, but people were sought into for their faith. They were killed by the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted, and mistreated. The world was not worthy of them. They wandered in deserts and mountains, living in caves and in holes in the ground. They were all commended for their faith, yet none of them received what had been promised. That's something I think we all need to hear. Sometimes when we go through difficult times, we think, oh my, we're abandoned. It doesn't say they were abandoned. It said they were commended for their faith. It says that none of them received what had been promised since God had planned something better. There's that word again. For us, something better for us that only together with us would they be made perfect. Why would anyone allow themselves to be persecuted in such a way? Face lion's den, face fiery furnace, Face being sawed in two, face being, you know, beaten with wooden rods, uh, having to live in obscurity out in the desert and in, in holes. And, like, you know, they, they were outcasts. Why would anybody allow themselves to be persecuted and treated this way? Last week, uh, we should, I, I meant to mention that last week. Last week was a, the Sunday we, they set out nationally to prayer for the persecuted church. And, I happen to believe it's something we should pray for every day, amen? And I know they do too, but I, I want you to be aware this morning that some of these things are still happening in the world. We act like this is just Bible stuff. There are people that are being killed for their faith. There are people, in order to worship Jesus like you are doing today, they have to find holes in the ground. they got to go underground to do it. There's countries in this world that it is 100% illegal to speak the name of Jesus. Why would anyone allow themselves to be persecuted in such a way if there was only a chance that they would take part in a resurrection? If there's only a chance, like even if there's just a chance, you know, why would somebody allow it? It's not about a chance. It is about faith. It's about knowing. It's about the confidence of what you have assurance in is about understanding that it is truth now let's go back to chapter 10 again and pick it up in verses 23 to 25 it says there in verses 23 it says let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess for he who promised is faithful and let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encourage one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. Hope. Hope. The Greek word is elpis. It means confident expectation. When we come across this word in the New Testament, we need to understand that it has to do with the unseen and the future. Think about it. Why do we go to work at our jobs every day? We go to provide for the needs of our families, to provide for, for ourselves and to improve our present situations, but we also are planning for a future, our future need, what we hope our future to be like. We have, we're planning for something we have no knowledge about. We don't know what our future is going to be about. In reality, none of us know today if we're going to make it home after we leave here. We don't have the next minute, and we need to count our blessings. We need to hug our children. We need to hug our wives and our husbands, and we need to value the people around us and take advantage of the moments. But we plan all the time for a future that is not yet ours. We are making an effort to script our future, but it is unseen, yet we move toward that future with hope. And we do it confidently as if it is guaranteed. Faith and hope are not new concepts to anyone, no matter what their belief systems are. Uh, but when we acknowledge that Jesus is better and that his covenant is better and that every word he has spoken is true and that we have placed our faith in him, we are not taking a chance. We know whom we believe and we are sure of what we hope for. We hold on swervingly to that hope and we profess or we confess it confidently. 
That's something we need to stop and pay attention to for a moment. What does it mean, this profession is confession? The profession or confession of our faith displays that we have faith and we have hope. That we have confident expectation, we have an assurance of what Jesus says in his word. Our confession, our profession is an open acknowledgement of our faith and hope. An open expression of our unwavering commitment and allegiance to Christ. And it's hard to talk about confession if you don't go to Romans chapter 10, right? Verses 8 to 11. We like to read uh, verse 9 a lot, but there's, there's a lot going on in the verses around it. Let's pick it up at verse 8. It says, but what does it say? The word is near you. It is in your mouth. It is in your heart. That is the message concerning faith that we proclaim. It's near you. It's in your mouth. It's in your heart. It's a part of you. And it says there, it says, if you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. It says, for it is with your heart that you believe and are justified. And it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. As scripture says, anyone who believes in him will never be put to shame. How can you say a statement about the future and use the word never if you do not have hope? In Hebrews 10, 24 to 25, it appears as though we are told how to keep our faith strong. And I think we use these passages in that way, right? Um, but it tells us, we look at it only as a, an idea of how to keep our faith strong so we can maintain our hope in Jesus. But that is not necessarily the case. It's not the only thing it's talking about here. The author is listing elements that should be natural in the body of Christ because we have faith in Jesus. And again, just listen to these words. It says, and let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. These are elements that should be natural because we have faith. These are not elements that should be necessary to maintain our faith. I need you to make that distinction this morning. So the first thing we need to understand, the first element we need to pay attention to is that we need to encourage one another. And then we need to stop there. We need to think about this. These, these passages that break down very simply, we need to stop and we need to consider them and we need to pray for them. We need to ask the spirit to open our heart to them. This is not what we do to maintain our faith. It is what your faith should inspire. Sometimes we come to church because we need the encouragement, and I invite you to do so. It is a place of encouragement. But I want to challenge you a little bit that if you feel discouraged, if you feel like you're down, I'm going to tell you, I believe in my heart, the quickest way that you can get encouraged is to encourage somebody else. And that's different in this world. That's different in this world. People do not expect the discouraged to be the encouragers. But I'm going to tell you, the strongest encouragement I ever got has been from somebody who should have been very discouraged. People that I've met on deathbeds. People that I, I've talked to that, you know, just got diagnosis about, about you know, short periods of time to live. And I go to see them and the hope of Jesus shines through them. And I'm there to encourage them, but they're lifting me up. That's the church. That's what our faith and our hope inspires. And I'm not trying to discourage you from coming to church to get encouragement. We need the encouragement. You should come to get church, be encouraged. But I'm telling you that I believe with all my heart that if you stay with Jesus all week, you wake up with him in the morning and you give him your first. You give him your moment and you say, Jesus, walk with me today. You may have discouraging moments. But I'm telling you, even in those moments, your joy will shine through. Your hope will light up a room. Your faith can still come through. And I'm telling you, when you encourage people, when you're discouraged, you're going to change lives. We need to be encouragers. We cannot destroy. Uh, we can't destroy the church of God, but I believe sometimes we try. <laughs> I got to tell you, I'm tired of defending Christians who don't act very Christian. 
And do you know that we can be pretty stinking cruel sometimes? Particularly with our own family, our own brothers, our own sisters in Christ. Encouragement should be a clear sign that we have faith and hope, not a necessity to maintain it. It should be a natural part of our faith. I'm not saying you shouldn't, you don't need encouragement. We all need encouragement. But I'm telling you that if you stay with Jesus, and I'm not telling you you can't have a bad mood. I'm not just hear me this morning. Sometimes you got to do it on purpose. Sometimes, you know, you wake up, you don't feel that good, and you say, I'm still going to be an encourager. I'm still going to, God, I'm determining I'm going to be patient. God, I'm still going to shine your light today. And you know how you do that? You spend your first with him. You get up and you say, Jesus, I need your help. I don't feel that encouraging today. But the body of Christ, I'm telling you, we're told in Scripture that the faith and the hope that is in you should encourage other people. First and foremost, the body, but also anybody who needs it. And I'm going to tell you your encouragement through the power of the Holy Spirit can draw someone to the kingdom of God. Jude 17, 23. I touched on it last week, but just listen to this, man. I love this. I read this passage maybe more than every other passage in scripture. I come back to this and it, and it just, it's, it's my, it's the music I listen to to get, you know, ramped up for a game. This is my, my go-to music, my hype music, but in the form of Bible verses for my life. It says, but dear friends, remember what the apostles of the Lord Jesus Christ foretold. He said, they said to you, in the last times there will be scoffers who will follow their own ungodly desires. Does that sound like today? These are the people who divide you. Who follow mere natural instincts and do not have the spirit. They do not have the spirit. They are not the body of Christ. They do not have the spirit. You should not expect encouragement from people who do not have the spirit. But from people who do have the spirit, you should expect encouragement. And you should give encouragement. You should be generous no matter who it is with your encouragement. Says, These are the people who divide you, who follow mere natural instincts and do not have the spirit. But you, dear friends, by building yourselves up in the most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in God's love as you wait for the mercy of the Lord Jesus Christ to bring you to eternal life. Be merciful to those who doubt. Encourage them. Save others by snatching them from the fire. Do it with urgency. And to others, show mercy mixed with fear, hating even the clothing stained with corrupted flesh. That sounds like a deep love. That sounds like a deep urgency for our brothers and sisters in Christ. Does it not? Does it not sound like we should be encouraging each other? Amen? We do not discourage. Uh, we do get discouraged on times. And we do need the body to remind us who our hope is. And we need each other. It's a good time to look to your right and left and realize you need the person sitting in the pew next to you or in the comfy chair. I guess it's a pew still. But you need the people next to you. You should be praying for the people next to you. I want to encourage you, you know, if you, if, you, if you don't pray for the people in church, man, look around, see a face, even if you don't know them. If you don't know someone here, go up, make it a point today. We got Cafe Connect after service. Praise God. Thank you so much, you know, to the people who spent all their time, Alan and Tina and their team doing that. I'm so excited to be able to just to hang out with you guys after service. But take some time, you know, look around. If you see a face you don't know, go introduce yourself to them. And this week, commit to praying for them. Man, you know, if we all decided to pray for one other person in this service, you have no idea the power of God you would unlock in this place and in this community. We get discouraged on time, but if we're active part of the body, we should be active in courage as well as encouraging ourselves. And how do we encourage? How are we to encourage? Well, the scripture gives us very simple instructions. Spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Spur meaning to provoke or to stimulate others to love and good deeds, to be an encouraging stimulus. I don't know if you've ever tried to maintain a fire, 
But the reality is fire needs maintenance. If you light a fire and you let it go down, it will go down and it will die. It needs maintenance. If you were in the woods and you had one spark of fire and you had to keep that fire going to save your life, you would not let that fire die. You would maintain it. And I believe that our faith should be similar. You know, sometimes if you just let your fire go, you know, we're talking about you want to look at it in terms of Holy Spirit. If you just want to let your fire, you know, just kind of, if you leave it and you don't feed it every day, and if you don't, you know, look for the encouragement of the body, if you don't encourage yourself with the word of God, then that fire is going to go down. It'll be there. It'll be there. It'll, it'll, it'll go and it'll smolder and it'll be there. But you know what? You got to come back and you got to breathe on it. And you may need to get some kindling and put it back on there. This is what I need to understand, what I want people to understand about the difference between revival and renewal. Revival means, you know, I believe people coming to know Jesus Christ. I don't know how you could have a revival and not see people get saved. People call stuff revival that is actually renewal. We need constant renewal. And sometimes we call revival where Christians come together and Christians find out that Christians are having good times. So more Christians come to, 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 to gather with the Christians and, and there's a great gathering of Christians and there's a lot of people in one place at time, one time. And I'm not saying that God doesn't meet them there because he does, but there's renewal happening. And sometimes that renewal turns into revival because I'm telling you, when your heart gets renewed, when you are encouraged by the Holy Spirit regularly, that does lead to revival. People do get saved, but we need regular renewal. We need to get down and we need to blow on the embers. Some of y'all may be at that point where you're just down the embers. You got to get down close to the coals and feel the warmth. I'm going to tell you, dig it up a little bit. Get a stick and root around. It's not going to be comfortable. Root around in there. Get some kindling on it and start to blow and get that fire going in your heart again. Get up in the morning and spend your time with Jesus. Live with Jesus. He's better in every way. Live with him. Have him in your heart. Let him rekindle. Let him renew your heart. And I'm, I guarantee you, you know, you let him renew your heart. I believe it's going to lead to revival. People see your hope. The Holy Spirit is going to draw people. People see your faith. Believing even in, in spite of all the reasons and all the different things and persecution and stuff that's listed in Hebrews, in spite of all these things, people see your faith, they see your hope. Man, they're going to come towards it. Sometimes to encourage, we don't need the right thing to say, we just need to be available. We laid the rest, Mrs. Gertrude Doberstein. And I didn't know her, but a good funeral introduces you <laughs> somewhat. And I got to know a little bit about her. Seemed to be a dry sense of humor. Seemed like she was quick with these little jokes, but she liked to encourage people. Sounds like she was a great grandmother or Oma, I think. Probably the best way to say it. But, you know, we were there and we ate together after. And though it was, you know, a sad moment, there was a lot of tears shed by people. There was still encouragement. Encouraged by her life, devoted to Jesus. That's faith. That's hope. We don't go to funerals when we're believers and think this is it. We don't. We believe in the blessed resurrection. We believe that he was first and we will follow him. And I just thank God for that. That even in the darkest times, we can find encouragement. This is why I want to remind you, as verse 25 says, don't stop meeting together. Don't stop meeting together. This is the issue that we should all be familiar with. If the pandemic taught us anything, is that we need each other. Zoom was a blessing, although it doesn't feel like it sometimes. It was a blessing because we got to see faces and we can meet with each other. On we, we did this thing at Willowdale where we divvied up all the names of the people in the church in lists. And every month we called them one by one. And that contact, I'm going to tell you, there's people that are at Willowdale serving Jesus right now because of that contact. 
There were names that were on the list, and we were like, well, I'm not sure why they were out here. They don't come all that often. But we got talking to them and found out that they needed faith. They needed hope in their life. And now they're attending regularly because we picked up the phone and we made contact because we need each other. But the phone doesn't replace seeing somebody, being next to somebody. The phone doesn't replace fellowship. Zoom doesn't replace fellowship. This, this video camera, which I love very dearly, I honestly do. I love the fact that we can go online and it's great for reaching people. It's great for people to see us if they're wondering if they want to come make this their church. I understand it. I get it. And if you're there for those people who, you know, can't come to church in their home and they're not feeling well or something, they want to watch online, it's great. I love it. I'm so happy that we can do it. But it is not fellowship. I'm telling you right now, if you rely on the screen for your fellowship, you will get teaching. Yes, you will. You may even see evangelism. You may see, you know, a lot of different elements of the Christian faith, but you will not experience fellowship. Fellowship is where the Holy Spirit witnesses between two people, I believe. Like I said, I, I'm not, don't get this, like, I, I, I am all about cameras. I'm all about the online broadcast, and I want to invest more in it. I want to make it better. Trust me, I believe in it. But I believe in sitting next to you, speaking to you face-to-face -face more. I believe in eating with you and spending time with you, being on the golf course with you even. Oh, wow, you can't have spiritual time on the golf course. Well, sometimes it doesn't feel that spiritual, but you can have spiritual time on the golf course. I spend a lot of my Sabbaths on the golf course with my dear, with dear friends of mine who, who encourage me. And, you know, at some point, they're all, they'll always come along and they'll put a hand on the shoulder and say, how you doing? And that little how you doing, man, is what I need. That, that little how's your family is what I need. That little I'm praying for your dad is what I need. You know, and so I do the same thing with them. And, you know, at that time at the golf course leads to a phone call where I say, how's your dad? How's your family? God laid you on my heart today. I don't know, maybe there's a reason, maybe there's not, but I felt like to call you and there's usually a reason. That's what fellowship does. Spending time together, that's what it does. I'm going to tell you right now, leading worship to a building full of like-minded individuals is better than singing to a camera in your living room. Preaching to your lovely faces is better than a big empty room. Just talking, laughing, and encouraging each other in a foyer or around dinner tables or in Bible studies or, dare I say, like I said, on the golf course or wherever you find your time where you hang it with people out eating wings. I don't know. What a blessing just to be together. We need each other. We need to be an encouragement, a stimulus to each other's faith. The second element, of course, we need to encourage each other, but the second element should be natural as well because we have faith in Jesus, and it's, it's an element of encouragement. But the second thing I want you to understand this morning is that encouragement should increase as you see the day approaching. We go back to chapter 10, verses 24 and 25 again it says i'll just read the second verse it says not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing but encouraging one another another and all the more as you see the day approaching it should be increasing not decreasing so what day is approaching well let's slide over to second peter for a second and just read a passage that's there in chapter 3, verses 8 to 13. It says, listen to this. It says, but do not forget the one, this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years is like a day. And we like to use this when people are trying to defend the six-day creation thing. We come to this verse. But what he's talking about here is, is, is don't get discouraged because Jesus hasn't come yet. We don't understand time like Jesus' time. He's not, he didn't intend for this passage to be used to defend the six days of creation, although if that's what gets you going, go nuts. He's talking about patience and understanding that God has a plan and he's coming. Oh, he's coming. But do not forget this one thing, dear friends. 
With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years is like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promises, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you. Oh, thank you, Lord, for your patience. There's people I'm praying for, Jesus. I'm hoping my hope and my faith and my encouragement, even when I'm discouraged and their life rubs off, I'm hoping that your patience, you know, leads to their salvation, Jesus. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. Now, verse 10 is where we, we struggle a little bit. We don't like to read passages like this, but, it, but it's reality. We got to understand that God is also a God of perfect justice. It says, but the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar and the elements will be destroyed by fire and the earth and everything done in it will be laid bare. That's heavy, man. That's heavy. But then keep reading. It says, since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? Don't stop before you get to the question that demands something of you. Since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? This, this little word ought is a word we need more in society. To understand that there are things that we ought to be and there's things that we ought not to be. We don't like this word ought because it makes it seem like there's only one way to do things, that there might be a moral law, but I'm going to tell you right now that we need to consider what kind of people we ought to be. And that the coming of the Lord... And, and, the, and the things that are coming should make us think how we ought to be, that whether we should be encouragers, whether we should be displaying our faith and our hope. He tells us in the next line, he says, you ought to live a holy and, God, a holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming. I don't know about you, but when you read verses 10, I don't know if that sounds like something you want to speed, everything being destroyed and consumed by fire, fire, but don't stop there. You got to keep reading, right? It says that they will bring about the destruction of the heavens by fire and the elements will melt in the heat. Again, whew, that's tough, man. But verse 13, there's our hope. It says, but in keeping with his promise, in keeping with the better covenant that he has made between you and I, in keeping with this promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness dwells. Don't stop partway through the plan. Don't stop partway through the plan. Don't forget the promise. Don't forget the better covenant. Understand that he has a long game in mind. He says, like I said, a, a day is like a thousand years. He doesn't understand time the way he is. He's not impatient like we think we're impatient. We need God's patience, but it's difficult to pray for, right? We know how we get patient. The day of the Lord is coming, and the author of Hebrews reminds us that we need each other as it does, and we need to increase our encouragement of one another in the process. We're going to need more encouragement as the day of the Lord gets closer. I happen to think that an environment that is marked by encouragement, love, respect, fellowship, an environment where people enjoy each other's company provides a glimpse of the hope that we profess. You know how many times I hear people say, yeah, I like what Jesus is all about, but I don't like your church. If that does not stop you and hit you in the chest like a ton of bricks, then I'm telling you, it should. Because what they're telling you is that the church has not encouraged them. They're telling you that the church has been judgmental, that the church is not sharing the love of Jesus Christ, that their experience of the church has not been a positive one. And don't get me wrong, I'm not going to save someone's feelings at the, exp at the expense of truth, but I'm going to tell you that sometimes we jump out in, in we go to verse 10, right, in, in Peter, 1 Peter 3, and we talk about the fire and the destruction that's coming before we tell them about the love of Jesus. If you want to learn physics, I don't think you should go to quantum theories and stuff at first, should you? Maybe you should start with the simple things. Maybe tackle a few equations. Dabble with a few pulleys if you're feeling, you know, adventurous. 
But when I got into physics, I was realizing, man, this is a, this is a tunnel I'm not going down. You guys, you know physics, man. When I got into high school, I was like, no, nah, I don't need to do this. Whew, it's tough. But you got to start simple and you build it. The Christian faith is the same. Tell the simple truths first. Sometimes we go to people that don't know what the baptism of the Holy Spirit is, and we start talking to them about things like this. We don't know. We tell them that, that we, we talk to them about destruction and about, and about hell and fire. They don't know about these things. They don't have a, a framework of these things yet. They don't even understand what the love of Jesus is. They don't understand what they can put their hope in. It is our hope in Jesus that gets us through these things, that think about these things, that help us understand these things. It is the hope and faith that we have in our heart that we begin with. You don't just jump to hellfire and damnation to somebody. No wonder they don't feel encouraged. Am I being too blunt? I can try harder. Day of the Lord is coming. I do believe with all my heart that an environment that is marked by encouragement, love, respect, fellowship, and an environment where truth is paramount provides a glimpse of the hope that we profess. It is also a beacon to those who have no hope. I think when people come here and they're looking for hope and they come in, they should feel the hope. They should experience faith. They should experience a community where people are encouraging each other. First Thessalonians 5, 10 to 12 says this, he died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we may live together with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up just as in fact you are doing. So Paul is talking to the Thessalonians and they're encouraging, they're being encouraging each other, but he's reminding them, Keep it up. Keep encouraging each other. Our faith is confidence in what we hope for. And we have a confident expectation of our Lord's return. We need each other in this journey because there are so many things that can be discouraging and distract us from the hope we have. I'm going to tell you, if you've ever been sitting around a fire in a pitch black in my home in Sturgeon Falls, we lived in the country. The nearest lamppost to me, I think, was about 500, 600 yards from my home. So when I sat in the backyard, I got to see the array of stars, and I would go out there. My wife was working or whatever. I would go in the backyard. I'd sit next to that fire by myself. And I can remember sometimes I sat there. Sometimes I'd be reading. Sometimes I'd be listening to music, and the fire would go down so low, and you don't realize how dark it's getting. And then you look around and realize, oh, there's wild things in these woods. I need to start to fire up again. <laughs> and yes, we did have black bears in our backyard, and we had moose run through our backyard, and I even had a lynx in my backyard, third of all. So I'm not just making that up. And you begin to become aware of the darkness. And now I'm looking for wood. I need to make it. i got to see what's going on. I need a, a level of light. I need the, you know, and as you put the fire back on, you begin to feel the warmth the encouragement of the warmth again and you get the encouragement of the light and you begin to see things around and you settle back in your chair and you feel comfort with that again. Maybe you need your, your, your relationship rekindled today. You know, maybe you need something from Jesus to say, Scott, you know, I, I, I feel a little bit far away from you, but maybe it's time to take some personal responsibility for that. Maybe you haven't been spending the time with him. It's hard to be an encouragement when you're not encouraging yourself with the word and with his presence. We need to encourage one another. And in this day, our encouragement for one another should be increasing, not decreasing. This blessed hope we have can inspire us as a family through anything. Hebrews 6, if we go back to chapter 6 again, verses 19 to 20, it says, We have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. It enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain where our forerunner, Jesus, has entered on our behalf. An anchor is a stabilizer, a constant. The storms of life rage, but God holds firm. He calms the storm and leads us into still waters and safe harbors. Don't let these things become cliches for you this morning. 
So what was it that the Israelites hoped for? You know, when we're thinking about the Old Testament, you know, again, remember, reminding ourselves that the author is speaking to Jewish Christians here, right, who are struggling in their faith and they want to go back to the old law. What was it that the Israelites hoped for? Hebrews remind us that the patriarchs knew their true home was with Christ. He, he takes us back. I love Hebrews because he takes us back into the old covenant and he reminds us that Jesus is there. Let's listen to Hebrews 11, verses 13 to 16. It says, all these were still living by faith when they died. He's talking about these great patriarchs, these people, these pillars of the faith. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance, admitting that they were foreigners and strangers on earth. People who say such things show that they are looking for a country of their own. If they had been thinking of the country they had left, that's a whole other sermon. They would have had opportunity to return. Instead, they were longing for a better, that word again, a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God and he has prepared a city for them. If you slide down to verse 24 and 26, it says, By faith Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose to be mistreated along with the people of God rather than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as a greater value than the treasures of Egypt because he was looking ahead to his reward. He wasn't thinking about Canaan. He was thinking about the presence of Jesus. We have the same hope. Don't lose sight of it. Don't lose sight of it. Don't let your, your embers go down so low that you got to go down and re keep your flame for God going. Keep yourself renewed in his spirit. Keep yourself an encourager even when you're feeling discouraged. It is a better hope we have, a confident expectation to be in the actual, tangible presence of Jesus. Man, that's a message we need to teach people. And it begins, I believe, with encouragement. Speaking to someone's life who needs joy, who needs hope, to put it on display. I don't ever want to hear again anywhere in my life if I never hear the words oh I love your Jesus but I don't like your church I gotta tell you I have such a deep affection for the church of Jesus Christ I believe in you so much I believe in the church of Jesus Christ and the church of Jesus Christ is the hope of the world because we have the greatest message ever we communicate it with how we act. We communicate it with how we live. We communicate it when we confess and we profess Jesus. We are the hope this world needs. And I'm telling you, this world needs hope. Amen? You know what? We're going to put this into practice in a few moments. We're going to get to go out these doors and we have Cafe Connect planned for you. And we get to, you know, eat a few snacks and drink a bit of coffee and fellowship and enjoy each other's company. Amen. I'm going to tell you, you see someone that doesn't look like they're, you know, not really getting involved. Go say hello. Introduce yourself for the first time. And when you introduce yourself to somebody, remember, you're praying for that person this week. Amen. Get their name right at town. As we pray for each other, I'm going to tell you, it's going to change the atmosphere going to change the whole feeling. And I'm, I'm going to tell you, I enjoy the atmosphere in this church already. I enjoy you already. I enjoy the church here at Warden. I honestly do. But man, we're nowhere near where we could be. We're nowhere near at how we can affect the community we live in. We got so much farther to go. There's always farther to go until we get to him. Amen. Father, I thank you, Lord, for this word today. I thank you for your presence. But we felt it as we sang those amazing words earlier. We felt it, Lord, when we shook hands and we greeted each other when we entered the building today. 
We felt it, Lord Jesus, when your presence welcomed us. Your Holy Spirit reminded us, oh God, that you were here before we got here. We thank you for that. So Father, Father, remind us today that we are your church. We are your bride. And you will not keep us waiting forever. Lord, the bridegroom will come and receive your church. I know you will. But again, Lord, I find myself praying for patience. Give me the understanding that you do. I understand that a day is like a thousand years to you, O oh God. And that, Lord, I don't understand patience the way you do, O oh God. But I want to understand things the way you do. Give me your understanding, Lord, so that I know, Lord Jesus, that I have time to reach the people that I pray for. So many people need you still. Your word says to, that the uh, passage just left. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Lord, that passage, when you look at the language, it says, for God so loved all the people. You love everyone, Lord Jesus. You have a plan, Lord Jesus, to reach more still. I know you're still calling people. Use us for your kingdom, Lord. Keep our hope in front of us. Keep our faith strong. And Lord, I just pray, oh God, that as we uh, leave this building in a while, oh God, after Cafe Connect and after we fellowship together, Lord Jesus, that we would stay connected, Lord. Stay connected to the body, Lord, with phone calls and just getting together, studying together, Lord, enjoying each other's fellowship. But also, Lord, just live with hope. Let our hope shine through our own discouragement. Lord, we love you today. We honor you today. I pray that you would be blessed and honored, Lord, with how we receive your word this morning and apply it to our heart. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's just take a moment to worship and uh, just take some time and ask God yourself, you know, speak to the Holy Spirit who's present. Seal this word in your heart this morning before we just go and have a time of fellowship. Amen.